I want to give you a backstory. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. Listen to me. If you're in church and you've been coming around for a while, don't sit here without a Bible. You're not a theologian. You're not a scholar. Okay? And the fact of the matter is that you're going to forget 95% of what I tell you. You're probably concentrating on my shoes, on my pants, on my ring, on my watch. Don't do that. Focus on Jesus. Focus on the message. Because what's going to change you is the word of God as you apply it. I wish that I could put you all in a room and keep you there until you change. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Kind of like starve you, you know. <laughs> but, but think about that, right? Change doesn't happen unless you want it to. Change doesn't happen unless you realize that the one that's inviting you to change is going to empower you and help you to change. He's not going to allow you to do it on your own. You can't. I can't. This is why resolutions don't work. You don't have the power to see them through. It's a whim. You say, I'm going to stop doing this, stop doing that. You have no plan and no discipline to see it through. It's just something you figure you check off and put it in your calendar and say, I'm not going to eat these kind of foods. I'm not going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop drinking. We can't do it on our own. The only way that we can do it is in Christ Jesus. That is the only way. And that may seem abstract to you because we're people that we have to see, feel, touch, taste, and hear. Listen to me. Faith is just that. You don't see it. But you believe it. I go backwards to the past, and I see where God showed up for his people consistently. I don't even have to look at the Bible. In my own personal life, I shouldn't be here. They should have got me back here. I was a little faster then, you know, and now I'm a little slow. They probably catch me. But, you know, like back here, I shouldn't be here. Things happen in my past that would, would I, call, I cringe when I think about them. So looking at this thing in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, by the way, inside your bulletins, you all have what we call a sermon map. Remember those things? Some of you remember them, some of you don't. It's in your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, get one. Raise your hand, let someone bring you one. You have a pencil, you have a pen, you are going to participate in today's sermon. You're going to engage. You're going to allow yourself to be involved. You're not going to sit there looking at me funny. We're all going to write something. We're all going to get this down. Why? Because then you have a discussion later on. Right? And if you have a problem later, your pastor God said this, and you're like, oh, gosh. Yeah, he did say that. Right? Because of what the word tells us. The only, the only thing that's going to change you is the word. The only thing that's going to change you is the word. You being obedient to the word and trusting that God will empower you, God will never ask you to do something that he will not empower you to do. He will never allow you to do it on your own. It is impossible for you to do it on your own. That is the gospel. He did it all for you. All you have to do is accept that invitation and let him do what he does best. He takes the foolish things of this world, the knuckleheads of this world, and puts them on a pulpit. Think about that. It's not you. It's him. Amen? The backstory is simple. Jesus, in chapter 4 and before that, first of all, we know certain things about him, right? The first part is this whole idea of his birth. Forget my writing. It's pretty sloppy. Don't worry about it. We're not penmanship here. Okay? Matthew chapter 4. His birth is told by Isaiah in verse 14, 700 years before Jesus even shows up. 
Okay? That's Isaiah speaking about Jesus. Tells you where he's going to be born, how he's going to be born, who's going to birth him. Amen? We get another glimpse of him here at 12 years old. Anybody remember? His parents are on a trip. Like most kids, he wanders off. They assume he's with everybody else. Meanwhile, it takes him a few days to realize he's missing. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. It's, it's parenting back then. <laughs> All right? 12 years old, and what he says when they find him, his mother rolls up on him. He's in the temple. He's having conversations with the men that are there. A lot of older men, they're astonished at this 12-year-old, the wisdom that he is sharing. His mother rolls up on him and says, yo, what is your problem? He didn't say it like that. I'm paraphrasing. I know that if my kid disappeared, it'd be, where's the problem? Like, my, right? But that's just me. So 12 years old, he's about in the temple, and he responds to his mother this way. He says, wouldn't you know that I would be about my father's business? She looks at Joseph. She looks at him, doesn't really understand what he's talking about, grabs him by the arm, takes him. 18 years later, when he's 30 years old, he begins his ministry. Before he begins his ministry, he's taken into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tried, to see if the enemy can deviate him from his plan. See, if he gives into the temptation, then he uses his power for his benefit. Jesus didn't come to use his power for his benefit. He came to use his power for your benefit, Amen. to set the captive free, to bring sight to the blind, that the lame would walk, that the deaf would hear, that the dead would be resurrected, that those without hope would have hope. Amen? Amen. 30 years old, shows up comes out of the water, witness from heaven says, this is my son, who am I well pleased? He is directly led by the spirit into the wilderness, tempted by the enemy, comes out, he says, let's go. Finds out his cousin is arrested. John the Baptist is his cousin, who by the way was birthed six months before him, who was the forerunner, who went about telling the message about, don't follow me, follow the one that's coming. I'm pointing you to him, why? John had no power unless it was given to him to do what he was supposed to do so that he could get out of the way and Jesus could step into that void and therefore fulfill that which was said about him. Amen? Amen. Jesus now comes down and he begins his ministry. 30 years old, he begins his ministry and he begins to do some of the most amazing things that shock me. Jesus could have done it all himself. Yet, look what he does in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. As custom in this church, we stand at the reading of God's word only because all of you need some exercise. And this is our way of fulfilling our core value of health. Um, at the count of three, we're going to do five jumping jacks. Everybody ready? Okay. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20 reads as follows. Just Listen, um, and then um, we'll dive into it. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets 
and followed him. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Normally, when someone asks me to follow them, I ask them, where are we going? Where are we going? Already, this text is unusual because Jesus is telling them, follow me, but it doesn't tell them where they're going or a destination for them to land at. He's telling them, if you follow me, you're not going to go somewhere. You're going to become somebody. Come on now. You should write that down. Because it's not about a destination. It is about a decision. And at the end of the day, at that moment, when they ask about follow me, you see the decision that they immediately made. Something must have happened. That invitation, that eye contact must have done something internally. For them, it says here that they immediately left their necks and followed him. Not to go somewhere, but to become someone. He's talking to them in a language they understood because they had built their whole identity around what they did, their occupation. They were known as fishermen. Back then, um, that's how you were known. You know, if, if you were a craftsman or a sculptor, whatever it was, you were known as John the sculptor, John the fisherman. So your identity was wrapped in what you did. And I got to tell you something, that's a bad way to live. Because when you don't succeed in what you do, misery sets in. You wrap yourself completely around that. And Jesus says, I don't care about where you want to go. I don't care about what you do. I am concerned about what you will become. Becoming is greater than a destination. A destination is finite. That means once you get there, you get there. And then you wonder, what's next? There's a young lady who's recently reading a book. And I call her young because I'm older than her. Um, But at 26 years old, she was a Harvard Law School graduate. Graduated the top of her class. Immediately landed an amazing job at a prestigious law firm in position to make money hand over foot. Couple of years into practicing law at that level, she resigns, takes a 50% cut in pay to work for a nonprofit. Think about that. She got to a place, a finite location, in which, okay, I'm here now. What do I do? But her heart wasn't there. Her heart was in caring for others, for the orphans and the widows, for those who can't defend themselves, those who don't have a voice for themselves, those who are marginalized and disenfranchised and and stigmatized by society. Come on now, somebody say amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I fit one of those categories. (laughs) I fit one of those categories. And I have to be mindful. That because of Christ, I'm not here anymore. I'm here. I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. He owns everything. He is all powerful. So I want to just dive into this text really quick because there are a couple of things going on here. First and foremost, 
They identified themselves with what they did. And therefore, success is always centered around what you do rather than who you are. Amen? So this is the beginning of his earthly ministry. And one of the things I notice about this, again, there's a decision to be made here. There is an invitation that's made and then a decision that you have to make. So Jesus is even saying today, follow me. He's talking to you, sitting in your seat. Follow me. And I will make you. Everybody see that? He's going to make you something. Why? Because what we are is not what he wants us to be. Now, you didn't get that one. Like, like you, didn't, you didn't get that one. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get that on the way home. It's going to be too late. You got to get it now. You have to be mindful that he wants us, us collectively as a people, but as individuals, he wants us to become something. And it's not what you currently want to become. Maybe you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, and all that stuff, and that's fine. But if you say yes to what his invitation is to you, it is a transformative relationship that will happen. You will never be the same. God doesn't just want to change you from the inside out. He wants to change everything about you. How you look, how you talk, how you walk, how you interact with me. God wants to change everything about you. So when you think that God is not concerned about how you dress, how you talk, who you be with, where you're going, what you're doing, you are mistaken. God wants all of you. This trickle-down effect is not something you want to continue to do. You don't want to give God a little bit. You want to give God all of you. That is the only way that you'll experience the transformation that he wants to do in you so that you can become that that he wants you to do. God's vision for you and me is that we will be more like his son. That's the picture you should have on your wall. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. You know, how many people pray that prayer? Do you realize what you're asking for? <laughs> I don't think you realize. Like, I stopped praying that prayer. Like, seriously. I, you know, I started feeling some things and experiencing some things, and all I can hear is a whisper, I thought you want to be more like Jesus. I thought you want to be more like Jesus. And I was like, okay. But, but keep that in mind as you pray that. It's a good prayer. But understand that God is going to make you. He's going to mold you. He's going to chip away. He's going to rub. He's going to pull out of your heart. He's going to pull out of your life those things that are not conducive to what he wants you to become. So there are some relationships that you got to say no to. There are some things you got to say no to. There are some behaviors. Listen to me. It is, it is conducive to your health that you change. New year. Not another year. New year. So when those old behaviors kick up into this new year, you just put new into old. You don't want to do that. I'm, listen, I'm checking myself. Every time that I say something or act somehow, man, that was last year, this can't be this year. And I've only got six days into the year already. So I've been practicing it like really hard, like trying to address some things in my life personally because they're not conducive to my growth or what he wants me to become. And just because I'm standing up here doesn't mean I arrived. I got a long way to go. People that are around me will say amen to that one. Right? <laughs> but God is working in my life. Why? Because I realize I've accepted that invitation and I'm moving from this phase. And this is the, 
thing I want to begin to give you. If you have your sermon maps in front of you, we're going to be doing some filling in today. So I encourage you to pickpocket your neighbor and take the pen from them because you're going to need it. This is my pen. I bring my own pen. This is my pen. I write with it. I do what I... It's like Joe O.C. for a moment there. I'm sorry. Okay. Keeping in mind that God's vision for each and every one of us is to make, mold us into the image of his son. That is his ultimate desire for us, that we will reflect the glory of God here on this earth so that this dark world in need of light will see light in you, in me, as a direct result of the invitation that you've accepted and the decision you've made. If you said yes to Jesus Christ, understand that that yes means that there's this transformative relationship that you're now embarking on that's going to change you so that the world will see what God can do with broken people, messed up people, especially in this ministry, especially in this ministry. Come on now. You know, we, we, we could talk about some brokenness. We could talk about, you know, being, being messed up. We could talk about those things. But guess what? I'm still here. I'm still here. That means that God has started something in me and he's not finished yet. And last time I saw what he finished, it was perfect. It was perfect. I'm not perfect now, but I am going to be perfect because that's the promise he's made. Amen? So I, I want to be mindful. Again, Jesus is not going to ask you to do anything that he will not empower you to do. You can't do it. Get that in your mind that your New Year's resolutions don't work because it's your power. You need the power of Jesus Christ in your life day in and day out so that you can say no to those things. Amen? Amen. We talk about that a lot here. Because listen, as long as you have an affection for doing those things that you do, you'll never let Jesus rule and reign in your life. You'll never. The competition is too intense. We had a conversation on Thursday, right? Why is it that we do what we know not to do? There is a spiritual warfare within you that you don't understand. This flesh desires to please itself. This flesh wants to do what it wants to do what it wants to do it. And the spirit is willing. And the spirit will take you from glory to glory. The spirit will allow you to be victorious because the Bible reminds us that he is a conqueror. A conqueror. Amen? So, there's this invitation that happens, and you notice that they immediately left their necks and followed him. A decision for Christ is a decision for change. He invites us not into a destination. He invites us into a relationship that will change you. That will change you. That's something that you have to understand. We say that Jesus will do it, and he'll help you, but that takes a yielding and a surrendering from you. Some, some people sit here and we preach that Jesus has done it all and will do it all. And in some of our minds, this is crazy thinking. In some of our minds, it exonerates us from involvement. But Jesus is going to do it. He doesn't need my help. So therefore, I'm just going to go about doing my business, live an immoral life. And he's going to do it, so I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, and hopefully I'll trip over the sidewalk, and bam, it'll happen. <laughs> no. Remember, the invitation requires a response, a decision that you have to make. And at that moment, when they left their identity, when they left their necks, when they left the life that they were living, the, the way that they were making money, they decided, no, we're going to follow him. We're going to follow him. 
Now, you have to be mindful of a couple of things. And this is where we begin to fill in our text, right? They asked him where you're going, and his response at that moment was, just follow me. And that's what Jesus says. And it's a couple of times in the scripture, he did it with Abraham. When he asked Abraham to follow him. He didn't tell Abraham where he was going. He just said, follow, leave everything and follow me. Now, that takes a great deal of commitment. Like you're telling me, follow me. You're not telling me where I'm going. You're not telling me what I need to take with me. Right? She looked into the eyes of Jesus, dropped their necks, and let's go. That's what the scriptures tell me, so I'm not going to put anything into that scripture. I'm not going to say that they went home and got their money and their metro card. I'm not going to say that. that's not what they did. They just up and left. And so th there's a couple of things that happen. The first thing is the invitation is to come and see. So if you're filling out, that's where you put the word see. Come and see. A lot of us are still in this come and see mode. It is the simplest level of commitment. You do that when you invite somebody to church, don't you? Yo, come check it out. Right? Just come check it out. Come see. You know, and then you, you, know, you decide. Right? A lot of us are still stuck in that simplest level of commitment. We're just showing up. We're just showing up. Remember what I said? New year, old behaviors, people. We're showing up when we want to. We're doing the very minimum. We're checking in, checking the box. We're saying thank you, Jesus, and we keep it moving. You're still locked and loaded on what you want to do, not what Jesus wants to do through you. Because your life doesn't belong to you anymore. If you're in Christ, your life doesn't belong to you. Amen? So this coming to you is that invitation. A lot of us are there because it's the simplest level of commitment. The next one is the one that I want to stand a little moment in it. And it says, come and die. Come and die. Ouch. Ouch. Nobody wants to die, do we? But this is not a death physical that we're talking about. When we use this term in the Bible, when we use it spiritually, come and die refers to the fact that this is where the shift happens. This is where your selfish, self-centered behaviors change. When you come to a realization, it's not about you, it's about him and what he wants to do through me and for me for the glory of God. Your gifts, your talents, all of you have them are for the glory of God and the edification of the church. The world needs to see that Christians are living a life that's reflective of the glory of God. It's crazy when you get someone who uh, sings uh, uh, worship songs and musics that make the top charts uh, and has an opportunity to share Christ and doesn't. That recently happened to the point where I don't know when her next song is going to come out. But keep this in mind. God gives you a platform. God gives you an opportunity. If you're a bus driver, if you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, if you drive a truck, whatever it is that God has placed you in, it's there that you should reflect the glory of God. If I went to your job, if I went to your building where you live, if I went to your family and asked them, is there a woman of God here? Is there a man of God here? They would say, oh, no, I haven't seen one. And I said, wait a minute, that girl goes to my church. That girl goes to your church? That guy goes to your church? Are you reflecting the glory of God where God has placed you? Are people, do people know that there are men and women where they are that are praying for them, but also loving on them? So this come and die is powerful. Jesus will empower you because a lot of times we say, man, I don't know if I want to leave this. I don't know if I want to stop doing this. I don't know if, you know, I really, listen to me. Jesus will not call you to something 
that he will not empower you to do. He also will not call you to somewhere that he already has not gone before you. Because the omnipresence of God doesn't mean that he's just here right now. He's over there and over there. Amen? Because if you come to see, come to die, then you will come to live. Live. God has this life, this abundant life that he wants you to live, this rich life that he wants you to live. He has a purpose and a plan for you. When you make a decision to follow him, you are going to become something. You're going to become someone that reflects the glory of God. Listen to me. God loves you unconditionally, sacrificially, and redemptively. What does that mean? That, listen, you're a knucklehead. Can we agree? You're a stiff-necked people. Can we agree? Me first. I'm not leaving you out of this. But his love is unconditionally. And, and listen, I'm not there yet. I don't love everybody because I'm trying to love them how? My way. And my way is based on conditions. You do me wrong, <laughs> right? Like, like, like if you don't treat me right, that's a condition, right? If, if you don't jump through hoops, if you don't do what I ask you to, those are conditions. God says, I love you unconditionally. I recently told my wife that. Because, you know, wives want to know why you love them. And she said, honey, why do you love me? I said, well, there's no reason, really. I just love you unconditionally. And that's it. I set myself up if I give you conditions. Because when you don't fulfill those conditions, then you think, I don't love you. And God loves you. Listen to me. If you allow him, make the decision to follow him, you will become a loving and caring husband. You will become a loving and caring wife. You will become that which he wants you to become to reflect the glory of God. Amen? Amen. The next thing is that you will become his disciples. People will know that we are his followers. He will know how. First one is this. Fill it out. Obey his word. Obey his word. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. To my teachings. That's found in John chapter 8, verse 31. That is what he's saying. Listen, don't say you love me. You don't love me. If you don't do what I tell you, you don't love me. As a parent, when you ask your child to do something and they don't do it, there's a name for that. And if you're in my house, then I start quoting scripture. Right? Like, honor your mother and your father, or you're going to die, boy. You know, like <laughs> that kind of stuff. Right? I skipped the long life stuff. I just threw that in there. Special effects. But think about that for a moment. You, you, you have his word. It's right in front of you. And you can't. You won't. I'll tell you why. Because you're not allowing Christ to rule and reign in your life. Those words are difficult. That love everybody is difficult. And that's the next one. How do I know you're my disciples? You love each other. You love each other. 
not in your own strength, not in your conditions, but unconditionally. The love that was reflected and given to you is a love that you should give to others. You are a, a conduit that God uses to express that love. You don't keep it, you got to give it away. You got to give it away. It's not yours to keep, you love. He says, yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, there's another part that says forgive. So you have to work on that. Oh, but you know what they keep doing to me. Now separate yourself from them for crying it out. People, places, and things. Why are you keeping that staying in that relationship for? It's common sense. Common sense isn't common, right? But at the point there, if you feel like you can't love, you can't forgive, then why are you still there? Oh, yeah, I know. It's going to take me a long time on my couch to work that out of your life. But in Christ, as you trust him, as you rely on him, if you allow him to work through you, you decrease and he increases. It's no longer you who lives, but him who lives through you. And you have to be mindful of these things. Listen, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Left to my own devices, I will wreak havoc. I will wreak havoc. Why? Because we are sinners. And when we're left to our own devices, we will only sin. It is entering into this transformative relationship which Christ comes to rule and reign within you where you begin to obey his word and walk by faith, led by his spirit. This is critical for us to understand. You can't do it on your own. That's why you keep falling on your face. You're not giving him the opportunity to make you fishers of men. And the last one there is you bear much fruit. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. The, the fruit there, it talks about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it talks about these, these fruits that are reflective in our character. Right? Um, I have to learn how to be kind. I wasn't kind in, in the past. I have to know how to be gentle. I wasn't gentle. You, you see where I'm going? Right? I wasn't loving. Right? I had no self-control in the sense that what I wanted, I got. That that was it. You know, your mind is crazy. You can cut all these plans on how you're going to work that out and, and, and you go about doing it. I say that to say that we obey his word. That's a reflection of us being followers. Right? Follow me and you will become. This transformative relationship happens as we dive into his word, love each other, and will bear much fruit. The fruit is not apples, oranges, and all that good stuff that we're thinking about. The fruit is characteristic things that reflect the glory of God. Like if you want to see it, you see it with Jesus. There were moments where Jesus said absolutely nothing. There are moments where Jesus just sent people away. There were minutes where he didn't, you know, he didn't heal nobody here, and he went there. Like, like Jesus, if you watch his movement in the Gospels, he, he did things intentionally, and he did it in a way that still reflected his love for the people around him, even when he turned over the tables in the temple. He didn't turn them over because he wanted to wreck the place. He turned them over because this is a place of prayer, and you guys have turned it into something else. Listen, your homes, if you're Christians, they should reflect the glory of God. Your relationships should reflect the glory of God. Your interaction with people should reflect the glory of God. And, and, and a lot of you are sitting here looking at me funny, but I'm telling you this. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. You're a hot mess. You're one of those muertos in the road. Uh, in Spanish, we, it's, it's a bump in the road, right? You're a bump in the road to what God wants to do. 
Get out of the way so that you can see his glory manifest. Because let me tell you something. Where God has planted you, whether it's your job, your home, wherever, your family, there is a need for light. There is a need for the light of Christ and the good news of the gospel to come in there. And you are an ambassador of reconciliation. And you are in the way of what God wants to do. You select who you want to love. You select who you want to forgive. New year. New year. I want the power of God to manifest itself in each and every one of your lives. There are relationships that need to heal. There are situations in your life that are going to repeat themselves. They're already rolled in to this new year. Like a snowball down a hill. You're already the sixth day of the year, and you seem to be succumbing to these things again. And I'm saying, you have to get out of the way. To follow him is to make a decision so that he can change you. Amen? Okay. Here's a to-do. At the very bottom of your page, there are three things that I would like you to do. You. Me. Us. That's the song. You, me, us. You, me, us. The first one is the discipline to start. Oh, man. How many of us say we're going to do something and then it falls by the wayside? Despite the fact that we have calendars and smartphones and Post-its and Alexa, we have all these gadgets. And they fall by the wayside. The discipline to start. I want to stop drinking, right? I want to do certain things. I want to stop doing it. I want to do this. I want to do that. But there's no thing in place. There's no discipline. Now, let me tell you something. Self-control is not something you have on your own. Self-control is something that the Spirit of God gives you. We talked about him being an anchor to your soul. And the Spirit of God will quicken you when you're going in the direction that you don't need to go. He'll bring it. We had a conversation on Thursday. It was just that. Okay, when the Spirit of God tells you that's not the way for you to go and you still go, what is that? Well, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7, right? That which I want to do, I don't do. Because there is a warfare going on within you. Listen to me. And we talked about this. If you're in a warfare, right, because temptation comes to test your, you know, try your training, right? And, and, And your training is what? You're in God's word. You're in prayer, you're in meditation, right? So when that comes into your life, it's going to test, try your training. If you spend three hours on social media and 0.5 hours reading God's word, everybody tucking in their toes, shutting off their phones, there's a spiritual warfare going on. The enemy's in the gym day in and day out, pumping, oof, oof, just pumping. I'm getting ready. I'm going after this kid. I'm going after that marriage. I'm going after those children. I'm going after their finances. Look at that. They're they're not stewards. They're just spenders, right? They, they, They don't know what they're doing, right? Because you're not in God's word. So now you want to win in that spiritual warfare, but you don't have anything to bring up because you just spent three hours doing something that was fruitless, mindless. 
It benefited only your flesh. And listen to me. Spiritual warfare cannot be fought in your flesh. You'll lose. You'll lose. You'll wind up in somebody's bed wondering how you got there. You'll lose. If you do not commit yourself to spending time at the feet of God, that requires discipline. That requires discipline. That requires a daily devotion, a daily meditation. If you're not doing that, if you're not doing that, then you're going to lose. And this year will not be a new year. It'll be another year. Another year. Come February, you get smacked up again. Come June, we won't see you for the summer. And then September, you'll come in all sucked up. I love you guys. We love you. We love you. We've been doing this too long. We've been doing this too long. Pastors, we love you. We've been doing this too long. There are cycles and patterns that you continue to practice because you're not feeding your spirit. You're feeding your flesh. So you're calling out to God to do it all, and God is saying, I told you to follow me. I told you to follow me. He says, yeah, but I want to follow you for a little while, and then, you know, I got some things to do. I'll be back. <laughs> no. It's follow me. He was walking with them. They were seeing him in action. They were seeing him healing people, talking to people, feeding people, loving on people, even challenging their belief system. Because it's this external invitation for them to come alongside and walk with him. The next thing there is the courage to stop. The courage to stop. Why do you lie? Why, why do you lie? Like, why is it that you, I don't know, embellish? Why is it that you lie to the people you love? There has to be this sense that to follow him in this transformative relationship is that I'm going to have the courage to trust him in all areas of my life. You see, our validation doesn't come from one another. It's great when you hug me. Please don't burp me. I'm, I'm cool with that. You can hug me, but don't, don't burp me. I'm not a baby. Don't burp me. Um, it's great to get that. It's great to have someone compliment you. But my life is not based on your compliments. My, ba you know, my life is not based on your you know, hugging on me and loving on me. That's a direct result of you being with Christ and knowing that that's what you have to do. But if our validation was based on one another, then what we do is that we perform. We perform. <laughs> we perform, right? We act as if because it hasn't happened in here. You haven't become loving. You haven't become caring. You haven't become gentle because you're not giving yourself to following him. You haven't made a decision. You're in this come-see phase. You don't want to die. You want to continue to rule and reign. You, you listen to me. If God is not sitting on your heart, on the throne of your heart, then someone else is. Last one there. 
is a person to empower. What does that mean? The greatest growth in my life has happened when I've done it with others. The greatest growth in my life has happened when I've done it with others. The people have held me accountable to what I said I would do. Being accountable and being vulnerable and being authentic and transparent are words that hurt your head because they require you to give up something. And we're all very protective of what we have. We've developed it throughout our lives. Do you have a person in your life that you can empower to hold you accountable for what you are supposed to do in Christ. In Christ. Follow me, he says. That's what he says. Follow me. Let's move from that come see to that come die to that come live so that God can get the glory and we could be reflecting Jesus to the world. There is a world in need of Jesus Christ. I thought about a visual that I would use to kind of help us to remember this. <laughs> I told Chris to fill it with rocks, and I think he did. This is my BC suitcase, right? Before Christ. In it, I have everything I need to live. I have some defense mechanisms that protect me because people have hurt me. That's the luggage I move about with. I carry with me everywhere the attitudes, the behaviors. All of it is in here. If I unfurled it, there'll be a great deal of garments in here that I've worn throughout life that have reflected a particular characteristic at any given moment. They don't talk to you, don't talk to them. They don't care about you, don't care about them. They hit you, <laughs> hit them back. Just turning the other cheek, that's BC here. This is the nets, this is my identity. This is who I am and who I was before Christ. And now I hear a voice that says, follow me. Follow me. Here's what some of us do. We take it with us. You can't. This transformative work that he wants to do, he can't do it with your old garments. There are new garments that he wants to put on you. There is a garment of praise that he wants to put on you. There is a multicolored coat that he wants to put on you so that you're distinguished from everyone else. There is a unique thumbprint placed on you that God wants to see blossom and grow so that the world can be amazed because when they see you now, 
in your following Christ's life, it doesn't look like your BC days. Change doesn't happen unless your affections change. Those things that I used to practice before, they don't fit my new life. They just don't. And when they creep in, the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? And that's the moment to repent. That's the moment to turn away. Amen? Amen. I hope that as we're leading towards communion, that what you've heard allows you to reflect about where you are. We're six days into the new year. Six days into the new year. You have to be mindful that follow me is a decision to come and die so that you can live. It's not the destination. It's a decision that you have to make. Christ is with you. Christ is for you. Christ will empower you. You will walk alongside you. He'll carry you. He will be there for you every turn of your life. He's not going to leave you alone. He knows that you're frail and you will not be able to do it on your own. And he wants the world to know that he's alive and well. And that he takes broken people and makes them whole.